God comes in the flesh into the world and is born in a barn. How in the world did that happen? I mean, was that somehow poor planning on God's part? <laughs> I mean, God has been preparing for this moment before the world was created. God's been preparing the world for the coming of his son. Was this just some minor detail that he overlooked? Or was there purpose in this? I mean, everything about this baby was to reveal to us something about God. I mean, this baby, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one called the Word of God, and without him... Nothing is created that's been created. He is the creator of the universe. And the word, the creator, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory as the one and only of the Father. Later on, the Lord Jesus himself would say that he who has seen me has seen the Father. So you want to know what the unseen God is like? Look at Jesus. He is the exact likeness of the unseen God. So when God, Emmanuel, God with us, when God comes into the world, he's born into a barn, a smelly, unsanitary, dirty barn. What is... God saying to us through that. That's what I want to think about with you for the next couple of minutes. In Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, passage that we're so familiar with, the scriptures tell us that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. He went to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, a feed trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. No room in the inn. Now, some of your translations may say, no room in the guest room. And the word translated in can be and should often be translated guest room. And that was common for families of, of that day and age for people to have a, a place for guests to come. But it could also be translated a, an inn or a lodging place for strangers. Now, since the Bible tells us that the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and then they went seeking for him. 
I cannot imagine that they went door to door throughout the town, knocking on the doors, trying to get in for the guest room to see if, if the, somehow uh, that's where the baby was. No, I, I think that truly this was a barn or a cave or a place where the animals were kept. And in this place where the animals are kept, there's a, a feed trough there called a manger. And when God is born into the world, he's wrapped in cloths and he's laid in this feed trough. Because there's no place for them. There's no room for them. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. And so this passage opens with the scripture saying that God moved upon the emperor of the world, Caesar Augustus. And God moved upon his mind and heart and he decreed that a census should be taken of all the Roman Empire. And that everyone should go back to their home of origin where their ancestors had come from. And so that news comes to Nazareth and there Joseph and Mary they're betrothed. Joseph has taken her now into his home as his wife. And she's expecting the Son of God. So they have to make this journey 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of this census. But God had moved the emperor of the world to decree this census to move his son from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Micah the prophet in chapter 5, verse 2, had predicted hundreds of years before this that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So God controls the affairs of the Roman Empire to move his son from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but when they get there, there's no room. So did God suddenly just fumble the ball there and not provide a place? No. We learned something about God. We learned that when God gets there and he knocks on the door of this inn, this Bethlehem is filled with people because everyone who was a descendant of David had to come back to Bethlehem to register for this same census. And so the, the, this little town is overflowing with people and there's just nowhere to stay anywhere, really. And so when they get there, there's no room at the inn. And so somehow they manage, the innkeeper puts them out in the barn. And what we learn is that, you know, God could have demanded a room. I mean, the same angels that announced to the shepherd, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord declared to them, don't be afraid, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then that angel was joined by the heavenly host, praising God. That heavenly host, that word host means army. So the armies of heaven show up to celebrate the birth of God's Son, the Messiah. 
Well, if the armies of heaven had gone to the inn and said, we need a room, I suspect it would have cleared out and they could have had their pick. But you see, God doesn't do that. God doesn't demand and force people to make room for him. Isn't it an amazing thing to you that the Lord of all creation, the one who is, has all authority in heaven and earth is born. And when Jesus was in this world, in his time of ministry, he exercised that authority over death when he says to Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth from the dead. He exercised his authority over disease when he says to the lepers, be clean. He exercises his authority over disability when he says to the lame, walk, rise and walk, or to the blind, receive your sight. He exercises his authority over demons when he says, come out of him, and the demons would flee. He exercises authority over nature when he says to the storm, peace, be still, and it just dies down in a moment. But when he came to how he dealt with people. He never made people do something they didn't want to do. He would not force them to obey him. He would not force them to follow him. He would not exercise his authority and violate their will. He always waits to be invited. He waits for our cooperation. So when he arrives that night at the, at the inn and there's no room, God humbly says, okay, I'll take what's available. I'll go where room is made for me. When the angel, when God sent the angel with the message to Mary and says, you're going to have God's son, and she says, how is this possible? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. But in Luke chapter 1, it says, verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left her. God waited for her to say, yes, Lord. He waited for her consent. And when she said, be it unto me, I'm your servant, yes, that at that moment, the glory of God enveloped her. And one of the most miraculous things that has ever happened took place as the eternal God became a man. He did not cease to be God. He was still as much God as he had ever been from eternity past. He would remain the same God. He would remain forever God. But he would become a man in addition to that. And he wouldn't become less of a man than you and I. He wouldn't become temporarily a man. He wouldn't become somehow more than a man. He would become the, a human being exactly like you, except he would be born without a sin nature like you and I have. 
And that happened at the moment she said yes to God. But he didn't make her do that. He waited for her to say, I'm yours. Because there's something about the heart of God that he goes where he's invited. He goes where people make room for him to go. In Luke chapter 8, we see that the Lord Jesus had went across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gadarenes, and there there was a man demon-possessed with thousands of demons. He cast these demons out. You remember that story? The demons' names were legion because there were many. He cast them out. The demons go out, go into this herd of swine and the herd of pigs, and they all run down the cliff and drown in the Sea of Galilee. And when the demons came out of the man, we're told, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off, reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had just happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man to whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So what did he do? He got in the boat and he left. He is Lord of all. He has just, if you read the passage before this, he has just come across the Sea of Galilee. A storm has blown up. This is when he says to the storm, peace, be still. It dies down. He steps out there. He meets a guy with thousands of demons. He says, come out of him. The demons flee. The people of the town say, please leave. And he says, okay. Because he only goes where he's invited to go. He will not make a person receive him. He won't make you be saved. He won't make you dedicate your life to him. He won't make you do his will. We're told in Luke chapter 9, in verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As he sent messengers on ahead of him, they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, you want us to call fire down out of heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. I mean, James and John responded like we probably think God would respond. I mean, Jesus shows up. He wants to go and stay at this village, and the people say, no. And James and John go, do you know who this is? Jesus, you want us to call fire out of heaven? We'll show them for saying no to you. And Jesus says, what are you thinking? That's not what I'm like. And he just went to another village that would be willing to receive him. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, there was a young man who was 
rich, he was young, he was in a position of authority, and he comes to Jesus one day and says, Lord, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, here, you know the commandments. He said, I've kept them all. Jesus said, well, there's one command now that you need to follow, and that is you need to make God first in your life. Your riches and your wealth have been your God, and now you need to make God God. So Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. The young man turns and walks away, and Jesus lets him go. And I think that Jesus was actually calling this young man. When he said, come, follow me, he's inviting him to become one of his apostles to follow him. And the young man goes, nope. He was sad about it. What he really wanted to do is he really wanted to hold on to his wealth and he wanted to follow Jesus too, but he couldn't do both. And so he turns to walk away and the one with all authority in heaven and earth just lets him go. And so this is why Jesus was born in a barn because he went where room was made available for him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we have a passage of Scripture that is so very, very applicable to us today. Jesus has just rebuked, and a few verses before this, he's just rebuked the church at Laodicea. He's told them that they're lukewarm, they're neither hot nor cold. He said, if you don't repent, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But then he gives an invitation to anybody in that church and anybody who's willing to listen the verse after this says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then Jesus gives an invitation to that church, gives an invitation to us today. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. I will dine with him. I will fellowship with him with that person, and they with me. Jesus says, I'm standing there and I'm knocking. I'm giving you an indication that I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you, but I'm waiting on an invitation. I'm waiting on your permission. I'm waiting for you to open the door. He doesn't knock the door down. He doesn't force his way in. He waits for you to hear his voice and open the door. But he says to everyone who will open that door, to everyone who says yes, to everyone who says I want you in my life, to every child of God who says I want to fellowship with you, we open the door, we say yes, and he says I will come in. So God won't make you give your life to Jesus. There may be somebody here today or somebody watching right now on our live stream, or you may be watching this later on when it's because we're recording it. God will not make you repent of your sin and turn your life over to Jesus. I think people sometimes make the mistake of thinking that, 
you know, that they're going to go through their life and that somehow, you know, God's going to just, you know, when he's ready for them to be saved and he's ready to, to get them right, that he's going to hem them up in a corner and he's going to knock them down and they're finally going to get to the end of their rope and they're just going to finally cry out and say, calf rope and, and finally give up and, and they're waiting for God to somehow just hem them so up in a corner that they, they really have no choice in the matter. And that's not going to happen. The Bible tells us that God loves you and God wants you to be a part of his family. And he sent his son into the world to die for your sins and rise again from the dead so that your sins could be paid for, so that you could have eternal life. And he offers his son to you, but he won't make you receive him. He will not make you humble yourself before God. He waits for your invitation. And Jesus says, I'm knocking at your heart's door and I'm waiting for you to say, Lord, come in. I'm knocking. You know how you can know if Jesus is knocking? The Bible tells us that no one seeks after God. The Bible tells us that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone's turned their own way. That none of us seek after God on our own. So when a person begins to have this, have thoughts about God, when a person begins to have this sense of, you know what, I, I want God. I have this desire to be right with God. I, I need you, Lord. And, and we begin to have these thoughts and feelings of maybe it's time for me to, to, to give my life to God. That's him knocking. Because nobody can come to him unless he draws them. So when you feel this drawing you feel this sense of something pulling you and tugging you and drawing you to God, that's him knocking. Do you hear that? Do you hear him knocking? Is there thoughts in your mind that you ought to do this? Is there a desire to be right with God? That's him knocking. And if you hear him knocking, he says, now that's it. That's my invitation. Don't wait for, you know, a meteor to flash across the sky. Don't wait for God to, to write it. Don't wait for some miraculous dream or whatever. God may do that for you, but don't wait for that. He says, I'm knocking. Do you hear that? He says, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will fellowship with him and he with me. So the ball's in your court. It's your call. He won't make you do it. If you're here today or you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, he's waiting on you. He's knocking, but if you'll open the door today, he will come in instantaneously. I mean, the, you won't get the words out of your mouth. If you prayed something like, Lord Jesus, Come into my life and save me from my sins. You won't be able to get the words out of your mouth before it's already happened. Now, for many of us here today, we're already, we've already made that decision. And, and I, I just want to make an application to us. You know, this innkeeper, I don't think he was a bad guy. I don't want to paint him as somehow, you know, this evil person who 
intentionally rejected and sent God's son out into the barn? The truth of the matter is the innkeeper didn't have room. He didn't have room because it was filled up with guests, other people who had gotten there. But for the innkeeper, this was good for business. This is the best financially he'd probably ever done. He viewed all these filled up rooms as good news, right? These, they were filled with good things. And the innkeeper did not have room for Jesus because his place was filled up with all these good things. And the only way for him to have had room for Jesus would have been to remove some of those good things to make room for Jesus. And that reminds me of how most of us here today, most of us here are not willfully, intentionally rejecting Jesus. Most of us here, just this, as we reflect over the last year, many of us here would say, you know what, I really probably haven't walked as closely with Jesus as I should have. We regret that. It's not how I wanted the year to go. Well, what happened? For many of us here, our lives and our schedules got so filled up with so many good things that we just didn't have time for Jesus and the time that we ought to spend with him and to serve him and to give to him and to fellowship with him. We just didn't have time because we were so filled up with all these good things. In our world today, we have so much available at our fingertips. You can spend so much time on social media, so much time watching TV, so much time listening to music, so much time just traveling, so much time doing all these things, running here, there, and yonder, going to all these good things. You and I can fill our lives with good things. We can fill our schedule with good things and then we find that we don't have the time to really be with Jesus as he wants to be. So as we come, this is the last Sunday of the year. Can you believe that? The last Sunday of 2021. And it's just a natural rhythm for most of us that when we get to the end of the year, we sort of have a time of reflection. And we think back over the years and how we've, what we've done, what's happened, and how we were with the Lord. And then we think about a new year coming, and there's something about it. You know, every day could be a new day, but something about a new year, we sort of think now's the time to make some adjustments and some changes. So I want you to think. If next year is going to be different with you and Jesus than this year was, if it's going to be better, then what adjustments do you need to make are there some good things that you need to move out so that you've got room for Jesus in your schedule, in your time, in your finances, in your church attendance, in your service of the Lord? I, I don't know what it might be. But I hope this week, as you are reflecting on this last year, as you are preparing for the new year, I hope that you will recognize that Jesus is not going to make you spend time with him every day. He's not going to make you serve him this year. 
but he's waiting for you to make yourself available. He goes where he's invited. Do you want this year to be a time of sweet fellowship with Jesus? Then you need to ask him. And you need to make room for him in your life. I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you're here today and perhaps you're ready to ask Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your sins, to make you a child of God. Maybe you've been waiting for something and, and, and maybe today you've recognized that, that there's nothing for you to wait on. He's waiting on you. He's waiting for you to ask him. If you're ready to do that at home right now, here in this room, that you can pray something like this. The Bible tells us that everyone who will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you call on him? You just pray. You talk to him just like you would talk to someone else. Jesus said, I'm knocking. Do you hear my voice? Then open the door. How do you open the door? You just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I welcome you into my life. I want you in my life. I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to save me. Give me a relationship with God. Eternal life. A home in heaven. I want to get to know you. So come into my life and make me your child. And from this day forward, I want to spend my life getting to know you better, loving you more. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, it didn't matter if you used the words that I said. It's not a magic prayer. But if, if in your heart you expressed to Jesus that you wanted him in your life, that's all you had to do. And the moment you started to do that, Jesus did what he promised he would do. He came into your life. And I'd like to say to you today, welcome to the family of God because you've just become a brand new person for all eternity. And you've just started a brand new life. And there's so much now that is uh, wonderful things that God has done for you, that he wants to do for you, but you need somebody to help you know, well, what do I do next? And that's the purpose of the church. That's why we exist. So what I would like to ask you to do is let our church help you get to know Jesus better. And so you can start that process by taking the gray card that's in the seat back in front of you. Just take that card and fill it out and check the box that says, Today I prayed and asked Jesus to save me from my sins. And if you check that box, and when you leave today, if you will drop it in the offering box as you go out, we'll contact you this week. And we'll start trying to find a time that would work for you to try to help you know how to now get to know Jesus better, how to start having this fellowship with him that he wants to have 
with you. It's going to be an exciting journey. So I hope that you'll let us help you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you'd like to join our church. You can take that gray card and check the box that says, I'd like to pursue membership of the church. And we'll contact you and share with you the simple strategy of how you do that. What's the steps that you take. So I hope that you'll do that. If you're our guest here today, I thank you for coming. And I hope that you'll let us know that you were here. You can do that by taking the blue card in the seat back in front of us and just fill that out. Drop it in the box as you make your way out. Would you turn your attention to the screen? Thank you, Hobby Lobby, for keeping the Christmas spirit alive 10 months out of the year. Thank you, Freshly Cut Christmas Trees, for bringing my family joy in the holiday spirit, and for the 10,000 needles I'll be picking. Sorry about that. Well, what we were trying to do is say thank you, Brookhaven Church. <laughs> thank you for a great year. Thank you for the amazing things that God has done uh, through you this year. And um, I appreciate you coming today. Next Sunday, first Sunday of the new year, we're going to have one service next week too. And um, just like we're doing today, at 11 o'clock next week. And I want to ask you to be sure and come because what we're going to do next week is we're going to talk about and rejoice together over some of the miraculous things God has done this last year. And then we're going to talk about, start talking about some of the things God's going to do and wants to do in 2021. And one of the things I want to start talking to you about next week is that we're getting ready to begin a new building phase. And, we're, and some of you have been hearing about that. And next week I'm going to show you some some. Uh, uh, renderings, and I will show you and talk to you about some of the exciting things that's about to happen. So be sure and come next week. We're going to have a great time together. Well, today is the uh, last Sunday of the year. And so, um, you know, for, for many of us, uh, you know, we give our offerings to the Lord and we do it because we love Jesus and it has nothing to do with tax write-offs. But however, since uh, since we live in a country that allows us to write those things off, then, uh, then that sort of becomes a factor. And so if you're going to give and you've got giving to do before the end of the year, then today's the last Sunday that you can do that here in person. So, um, however, you can give online all through this week. You can just go to brookhavenchurch.com, our website. There's just a little link there that says give, and you can give online. And you can do that right up to the 31st. Or if you this week want to mail a check in, as long as it's uh, uh, dated prior to, I guess, January 1, as long as it's dated this year, then certainly we will get it and include it in the offerings for this year. And we'll be sending you very soon just a record of your contribution. So just want to remind you of that. Thank you for your generous support this year. You have been extraordinary. And how God has used you has literally touched the world. And we'll share some of that next week. So God bless you. As you go out today, there are some books on the back table there. They're called God's Answer Books. And um, 
Uh, there are, are several questions that it talks about in there. A very simple read, but it gives you some great information about, you know, how do you know God's real? Is there a way that you can really know that there's a God? And now for many of you, you're going, well, I know that. But then you're thinking, well, how would I tell somebody else that? It's great answers to that question. For some of you, uh, you might would appreciate um, uh, the question that's answered in there is, how do I know that the Bible's true? It will give you some answers in there. What about all the different religions of the world? You know, they can't all be right. Is there just one way? It answers that question. And then it answers the question that so many of us have struggled with. Well, how can God be good and there be so much suffering in the world? That question's dealt with in there. It's our gift to you. And so as you go out, if you take one per family, hopefully there's enough. If we run out, I've got some more in my office, and we'll get some. So don't get away without your copy of your book today. So I was going to ask, is there anything else? All right, let's stand together and be dismissed. Merry Christmas. I hope you had a great day yesterday. Merry Christmas to all of you who are watching us today. And may this coming new year be God-blessed, and may it be our best year yet in our service, and our love for Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, wait, I do have something. I have someone that's going to join today, Miss Barbara Green. Are you here, Miss Barbara? There we are, back over way in the back. Would you lift your hand up there? Lift it up there. Yeah, Miss Barbara, thank you. Miss Barbara is coming today to say she wants to be a part of this church family, and so, dear sister, welcome to the family. We thank you so very much. We're so excited to have you. God bless you. Now we can dismiss. I knew there was something. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for the blessings of being your child. Thank you for the privilege of fellowshipping with you. Thank you for the privilege of serving you for the privilege of giving to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that everyone here would walk out of here today just awed by you. We'd want to know you better. We'd this year get to love you more. May you use this church in extraordinary ways this year. Do miracles through us this year. Do through us things that we can't do. I pray you'd touch the world this coming year. Bless every family that is represented today for all in our church family who couldn't be here today. Bless them, God. May they experience sweet fellowship with you this year and all the blessings associated with that. We praise you and thank you for being our Savior. We adore you. We love you. We worship you. You're worthy of that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. You are dismissed. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing all the plain And the
sweet.